0: Welcome, everybody, to Dead Talk Live. Today, we have a very special guest, writer, director, Bomani J. Story, whose newest movie, The Angry Black Girl and Her Monster, is coming out to theaters tomorrow, June 9th. Bomani, thank you so much for being our guest today. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing good, man. I'm feeling good. How are you?
0: I would be feeling pretty good if I was you, too. That This movie is incredible, and I look forward to talking about it. Before we get into it, what was it like premiering your film at South by Southwest?
1: Uh, That was awesome. It was surreal. I'm still kind of living in that moment. You you, you know what I mean? Like I'm still uh, experiencing it now because it's kind of one of those things where when you're an aspiring filmmaker, you dream about those kind of moments. And then to actually have it be a reality was nothing that I could have even imagined. So it's still surreal to me.
0: I had uh, Chad Coleman as our guest as he came back from premiering the film at South by Southwest and he described the energy out of how amazing it was as well. So let's get into it man. What made you want to tackle a modern day telling of a Frankenstein story set in an urban environment?
1: Um it definitely had to do with my love of the book of the literature. It uh, When I read it, I was just blown away by her work and her words, and a lot of the themes of it really resonated with me for today. And you mix that with my love of my older sisters who mentored me growing up and Mm -hmm. were kind of my first contact with intelligence and things of that nature. And you get this, you know, I call it my, you know, hip hop riff on Frankenstein.
0: It was great. Now, Leia, who did an amazing job as Vicaria, uh, were her motivations of being surrounded by death, that is given to us right from the beginning of the film, and is, is that her only motivation for doing what she is doing, is to really bring back her lost loved ones, or is the science element to it a bigger play for her?
1: I mean, I want to leave that up to interpretation for who's watching it. You, you know, it's like uh, a big thing for me is always the relationship of the movie between its audience and the film itself and the story itself and how they feel about it. So and I think that, you know, you'll find your answer within how you're watching it and then how it ends as well, like yeah. <laughs> and how the story moves. Like, I think that's a very fascinating question, but I. Uh, I mean, I guess I would ask you, how did you feel about that?
0: Well, this is how I would answer it. People, This is the kind of movie people are going to need to watch more than once because you've laid in so many nuances, like all the background stuff, the noises, the gun, the gunfire going off mm-hmm. in the background. You really bring us into that neighborhood, into that setting of what's going on and what life is like living there, being in danger of being shot at any moment in the day. And you, I saw the movie twice, and I picked up on new stuff the second time around that I didn't originally pick up the first time. Let's talk about uh, Vicaria and her dad, okay? How do you view that relationship between father-daughter?
1: Uh, for me, you know, between Vicaria and her, uh, and her dad, uh, I think it's just a loving relationship with two people who know they only have each other. And so they're going to do whatever it takes to try to protect each other and bring each other happiness. And I think they both have their flaws, but at the end of the day, they love one another.
0: Do you feel like Vicaria is, since they suffered that loss in the family, she's sort of being overlooked by her father, like her father is sort of drifting away in his coping mechanisms of the loss that they all face and she feels overlooked?
1: I think it's a possibility. I think that's something that that happens, you know, it's like when you're grieving, sometimes your process is to, uh, to go within and, you know, so obviously like you can stop talking to people and and push them away or whatever it needs to be and i think that's a that's a possibility for you know his grieving process yeah Uh, but i think the grieving process is a very complicated one because at the same time i believe that he also understands his duty to protect and raise his child
0: and Uh, and that's shown very well when he is when time comes for him to step up whether it's at school for his daughter uh and talking to a teacher or to protect her he's there He's not an absent dad. He's there when when she needs him the most. One of the characters that I found really fascinating is Kengo, uh, played mm-hmm. by Denzel Whitaker. Uh, from the onset, for me, I found him as a very likable character. Uh, mm-hmm. Was that done intentionally or did it just work out that way? We're always,
1: when I'm working with the actors, Dolphin, we're always trying to find the humanity in them and what makes them tick and why they're moving the way they move. So, and I always find interesting villains to be ones that you, you know, you may like. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, I don't want to call Kango uh, a villain per se because just in case for people who haven't watched it. But to me, it's just, uh, it's always an intention to try to find the humanity in the characters all the time. You know, everybody starts as a human and I, you know, and I build from there.
0: Yeah, and I also like how you uh, you sort of left it up to the audience to fill in the blank uh, history, if any, between uh, Vicaria and Kengo. Like, what was Did they go to school together? Uh, how deeply do these two know each other? It was sort of, we were given little tidbits here and there, but the rest is sort of left up to us to decide... How well do these two really know each other? We know he knew his bro- her brother very well. Now, the racial undertones in this movie run very, very deep. Uh, tell us the message regarding racism that you would like the audience to walk away from.
1: Um, well, I want to be careful with that, with you know, messaging and things of that nature, because I think people, when they walk away from a movie, they have their own ideas and themes that they, they take from it. And that's crucial. And I think that the story of Frankenstein, a a large line of it, uh, prejudice was a huge thematic that ran through it.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Whether people wanna acknowledge it or not. I know the initial uh, take is always gonna kind of be man versus God and man shouldn't play God, but there's also an element of societal prejudice Mm -hmm. and how we treat people before they open their mouth.
0: Yeah, that's very true. Very, very true. Uh, The interactions between the teacher, uh, those were also very intense. A lot happened in those few minutes where we get to see in that classroom what goes on. Did you have to have long talks with uh, Leia and Beth on how you wanted that scene to be played out? Because it was done so perfectly. The tension between the two... And then later on, when the dad is brought in as well, uh, did they, did you really have to sit him down to explain it or did they really catch on really quickly?
1: Um, I mean, yeah, we definitely, I talked to all my actors before and try to do rehearsals with them before to really get the the scene down and talk about it and find the nugget of truth that we're searching for there. And for Leia, you know, it's like I, I, we definitely talked about the scene and I had her talk to my sister's which was great and really to try to dial in. And I had my, and I had Chad talk to my parents for their situation when they went through that. And, uh, you know, Lay as well with my sisters for when she went through that. And so to me, it was just a process of just kind of digging that deep in and really uh, diving in on that. So to me, it's just, you know, you always want to have conversations with your actors, make sure everyone's on the same page and that we're searching for honesty in, in the scene.
0: Your style of directing really stands out. You're you could tell you're you're a big fan of the quick shot where you give the audience a quick glimpse barely enough to see what us to make out what's going on and then you snap back. Tell us more about your style of directing and, you know, I, you showed me some unique stuff that I've never seen a director do before. So when you go into a film and you're directing, what are some of the different approaches that you'd like to implement?
1: Me, I mean, uh, I, I, like, <laughs> I mean, it's my first movie, so it's kind of hard to kind of like dial in on that kind of stuff. And I, uh, I'm honored that I have a that the film speaks and has a swagger to it. it. You know, it's like I'm I'm honored that it has that and that it speaks to you. That's, that's really cool because a lot of my a lot of my heroes they they have films that have swagger and they yeah. might not be films that everybody loves you know but you can't deny that they have a swagger to them you you know and that's something that I always love and I cherish and I aspire to is to be to make films that have some kind of personality that might rub someone the wrong way but it's it you know it's them you know it's like it's it's honest and it is what it is right
0: that is so cool in fact let's explore that a little more all right this is your first film directing how do you, you, you have the story, you wrote the story. Now, okay, you need financing, right? You need to get people to back it up. Were there a lot of obstacles to you uh, from finishing the script to going on set for the first day of shooting? Was it a real, real ordeal for that to happen? Um. Yeah, I mean,
1: I think with every film, there's always going to be obstacles. I think the biggest one for me was the patience of how long it took to get the story made it was i think i've had it since 2000 i mean i've been working on i've had the idea since i came out of high school but i think i like officially kind of finished the script back in like 2018 or at least a version of it Mm
0: -hmm.
1: okay and then you know was pushing it around until something snapped in like 2020 and then we started filming literally basically a year ago uh in 2022 so i would say it's just more of the 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 biggest challenges and setbacks were just the patience to to wait you know and understand that it's coming you know i think that was more of that was probably the biggest hurdle because you know you you have it and you want to go but
0: can't yet (laughs) i'm smiling i'm excited you know why i i talk to a lot of filmmakers and Mm -hmm. um just knowing that this is your first feature film and how good it was, I see you as like the next rising up and coming it director. You know what I mean? And I'm I I've never said that before. You can watch every one of my episodes. I've never said that before. Now let's keep going on with the movie. Now you know, I don't want people thinking that this is just a retelling of a Frankenstein story. It's not. It's not. Yeah. It's absolutely not. It's it's It goes deeper it's very unique you give us your own point of view what were some of the elements that you incorporated into the story that made it your own i mean besides the obvious the urban environment and all that what were some of the elements that you really wanted to make your own from the original frankenstein
1: um i mean really it was a matter of just a couple things just like my my take on the, the novel, I know a lot of people, when they read it, again, they 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 find the thematic of man versus God, and man shouldn't play God, and therefore should be punished for playing God. Yeah. And to me, that's just a interpretation or uninterpretation, just one way of seeing it. And to me, when I read the novel, I always saw Victor as he was grieving. hmm you know and this was his grieving process this is how he you know this is how he dealt with it and that was kind of my my angle for it and also just some of the you know i guess it, i don't know if this sounds cliche or not but then some of the filmmakers that i look up to when i'm adapting this you know it's like i understood i was making a horror movie and i love horror so but what were the horror movies that i love the most and those more those horror movies that I that I love. My aspirations were always movies like the original Black Christmas mm-hmm. and the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Uh, you know, The Shining's in Everybody's Blood, whether they like it or not. So that <laughs> that's gonna come in, you know. And you know, uh, Alien, uh, the first Alien. Oh, no. Like those, those uh, movies were constantly in my my repertoire of what I'm thinking about when I was making this movie. Not to mention, of course, like uh, some of my heroes, like Aronofsky and Billy Wilder, are, are on my mind as well. So, really trying to aspire to capture two percent of what those geniuses could do. <laughs> <laughs> well, those are great
0: people to look up to. Now, you yeah. said it is a horror movie; it has its share of gore and violence, but it's yeah. it's nicely balanced with the story. Uh, whether it came time to direct or when you were writing the story, uh, did that present a problem? Did you want to maintain a nice balance between the horror part and the storytelling?
1: I mean, of course, you always want to do that. Like, you always want to tell a great story, and you also want to respect the genre itself. Uh, I'm not one of those people who thinks – you know, genre is trashy. Like I love genre Mm -hmm. and I don't want to be someone who's just kind of disrespectful to it, right? Yeah. You know, it's like I always want to aspire to respect the genre, tell a good, have fundamentally good characters that, you know, really search for their humanity and and things of that nature. So it's always going to be a tough balance and I, I hope I was able to strike it.
0: Oh yeah. Uh, there's a fine line between madness and genius. In your view, uh what makes Vicaria different from Victor Frankenstein? I mean, honestly, to me, it's like I don't.
1: <laughs> I mean, outside of you know the racial dynamics of everything, but to me, I don't see too much of a difference between the two. As I said, I think they're both. Grieving and I think they both are trying to restore order or restore their uh, their family, you know, it's like Victor may not have tried to, like, taken his mom's dead body who died early in the movie or whatever and tried to do that. But Mm -hmm. um, I believe that he was grieving his mother's death in the very beginning. And I believe because he suffered so much loss at a young age and stuff like that he was trying to rectify that, even though it was impossible because they were gone, but mm-hmm. I believe he was trying to rectify that. Like, that's just my viewpoint when I was reading the book. And then once he realized that, you know, spoiler if you haven't read the 200 year old book. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think <laughs> allowed.
1: He, Yeah, right. It's like once he realized that that was now impossible or he felt hopeless, he that was when he went truly mad. Like to me when he made the monster, that wasn't when he was mad. He was mad when the monster killed his wife and the last person of his family. Yeah. And that's when he went on his Moby Dick S Captain Ahab revenge spree at, you know to the end of the earth to try to kill him,
0: right? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. Uh one last question before we go. There's this great line in the film from Vicaria, where she says cancer is not a disease, it's a symptom. And the teacher asks, If that's a symptom, what's a disease? disease And she says, Death.
1: Mm-hmm. So,
0: right from the onset, you know, we could tell that she views death as something that is curable, it could be preventable. And of course, that upsets the biology teacher or whatever, and that causes the big uproar. Uh, when you were writing that specific line, what were you aiming for? What what were you trying to show us about Vicar- Vicaria and her mindset? Yeah,
1: Vicaria. Vicaria. Uh, yeah, she. I believe again. Like, this is where, to me, the line "death of a disease, death is a death, death is a disease." Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that line is you know there's two components to it. For one, it's it's what she's feeling. That's what she's taking from all this. And that's what she wants to accomplish. And that's what she's going to label everything uh, when it comes to people dying and when it comes to death. It's just like, that's the problem. So how do you fix that? And yeah. that's her way to rationalize it. The way for me, I capture it is like a, through that line, death is a disease to also pay homage to my, one of my favorite movies, The Fountain. It's a line that he he says in that. Uh, and so, yeah, to me, that's just her, that's her mantra. Like, I believe that when someone is going through something emotionally in order to get themselves through it, you know, you might invent things or whatever it may be before you actually come to terms with the grief that you're facing or whatever you're going through and her mantra and what she believes and what she's holding on to, because that is the only hope, you know, yeah. for her to be able to restore her family is that death is a disease otherwise it's just completely hopeless if that makes sense
0: and that's perfectly put we're out of time i want to thank you so much everybody you got to check this movie out it's coming out in theaters tomorrow it's called the angry black girl and her monster it was written and directed by our guest bomani j story this movie is going to take you on a roller coaster ride uh and it's a a telling of the frankenstein story but from a Completely different and unique point of view. Bomani, congratulations on the film. This is going to do phenomenal. Thank you so much for being our guest. I want to thank our audience, those yeah. of you who are tuning in live, and the majority of you who will be watching this later on. On behalf of Bomani and myself, stay safe and stay walking. Bye, everybody. See you later, y'all, June 9th.